All right, friends, with the New York football giants about to get away for a little bit of a break following the mandatory minicamp, we take a look at a midsummer perspective on what Vegas says about the giants from a divisional standpoint, a conference standpoint. Nay, do we even speak the dirty word of Super Bowl? It's all coming up, including some player awards that could raise some eyebrows for yours truly, along with Andy Makowitz, right after the theme music. Oh, that's right. It's OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where we are your host over there, seasonal generation ticket holder, Andy Makowitz, over here, Adam Armbrecht, also covering the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets Podcast with my boy, Doug Norrie, getting some of the kinks out of my mouth this morning, Andy. How are we, sir, assuming healthy, wealthy, and wise? Oh, yeah. A little, little kinks in the mouth this morning. We'll, we'll freshen that up. We'll get a little bit. If you need a little hot tea or, or a little break, I can carry the show as usual, Adam. You just let me know. The human torch was denied a bank loan. There we go. Knew I would get there in the end. Friends, we know that the mandatory minicamp is happening today, tomorrow, and the following, 7th through the ninth. here. We're going to touch on that as the week progresses. Any last looks or takeaways that we have here before, again, pretty big layoff before training camp will happen later this summer. And in that vein, it felt like, as we talked about way back when Brian Dable was hired and when Joe Shane was hired, just feeling like, everything could be hopeful and optimistic for big blue and he brought in a really good uh, a really good thought here on the old rundown what does vegas have to say about whether or not giants fans should be hopeful and optimistic heading into this what we think could be a really exciting season for them just like the other day a little bit of a two-minute drill here andy kicking things off start us with those uh what highest flight of aspirations where do you want to do yeah let, why don't we start with the super bowl because dream within a dream, my you know friends. what? Listen, let's let's go after you know, shoot for the moon. If you don't make it, at least you're among the stars, right? Isn't that what they always say? And so sounds, it sounds like a phrase to me, sure. It, it sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, but but the first thing that we looked at is what does Vegas say about the Giants team as a whole? And so we looked at the Super Bowl to start with, and the New York Giants are plus eight thousand to win the Super Bowl. That's now, nice. for anyone that it that is a layman in terms of the betting. Basically, a hundred dollar bet w- would net you an eighty to one payout, which is eight thousand dollars. So I like that. The Giants have very long odds compared to other teams. I think they have the ninth worst odds, which I think is better than what they had last year. Adam, eighty to one, Giants, Giants Super Bowl. Tell me how much. What would do? You, would you put money at that number? And if not, is there a number that it w- makes way more sense for you to do? Oh, yeah, this is the hard one, right? Because it's like you want it to be, if you're like not even thinking about the Giants, but just in general, you want it to be close enough where it's just outside of the realm of possibility, but not impossible, that putting down 50 bucks on a team that's maybe playing at plus 2,500, right? Like, hey, they're on the outside looking in, but they could get there. They're they're a playoff team. Uh, well, first of all, just to be clear, I'll, of course, I'll put a, a buck or two down on this. Why not? <laughs> Plus 8,000. It's always it's always worth it when it's the Giants. Dream again. Dream within a dream. I'm shooting for the moon here. And as we work our way through, there'll be some other money that maybe I put down on some other opportunities. I don't. I know that from a betting perspective, this is the kind of number you should go. 
yeah, don't bother. Right. Like that's automatically it's like when you do the parlays, which I love to do a little same game parlay action. I like to build it up until it's about plus eight thousand, maybe plus twelve thousand. That's when I think there's a real opportunity to make some headway. And what I effectively do is bet myself out of making any money. Yeah. Well, you mentioned very quickly. Yes, of course, I'm a glutton for punishment. I will throw a couple of bucks on this just because it's fun to have that future if the Giants end up surprising everyone. But, But to your point in that plus twenty two hundred range that you just mentioned, is a team like, oh, I don't know, the Cincinnati Bengals who just went to the Super Bowl last year. So if you're thinking about what's smart money, what's not, what are the teams on the fringe, Indianapolis Colts actually fall into that bucket too right around there. Those are those sneaky teams that if they get hot, they could win it. I mean, listen, this is aspirational clearly for the Giants. We have no expectations for it, but just in case it happens, don't you want to be the guy that's like, hey, I knew this was happening the whole time. Of course, I did it. I did. I did it. Uh, I'll tell you one that we're going to get into later. We're not going to talk about rookies of the year. Um, but I put in money on Andrew Thomas to win rookie of the year. Something that no offensive lineman has done, I think, in the history of the NFL. But I did it in his rookie campaign because why not? It only takes one for it to buck the trend. When we talk about then uh, where the Giants stand in the NFC overall, a little bit bit more favorable odds here at plus forty four hundred. You mentioned team like the Bengals there, like those odds. What are teams that are in and around where the Giants stand right now for the NFC? So the NFC, uh, they're smack between the Washington Commanders and the Detroit Lions. So that should give you an idea of of where Vegas has them. They're towards the bottom half. Um, there's about five or six teams that are below the Giants right now in terms of the odds to win the NFC. And it's hard, Adam, because if you say Tampa Bay, Green Bay, the Super Bowl champion Rams, and even the San Francisco 49ers as five teams that the Giants would have to leapfrog in order to do that, never mind the Cowboys and the Eagles in the division or the Cardinals who hopefully are going to have Kyler Murray there. It feels still like it's a very, very tall order for the Giants to have a realistic shot at winning the NFC. Well, the Washington Commanders being being included, it goes, okay, well, now you're in this big, you know, kind of cluster there. I think it's hard for me to look at when you talk about a team like Detroit. It's hard because you look at the quarterback, you say, well, they don't have that box checked. Not that the Giants do or even the Commanders, but there's not even a chance maybe of checking that box with Jared Goff, at least in the long term. But then you're also in that division of the NFC North. Like Detroit should be worse just because they should be losing more because you chalk up two losses against Green Bay and maybe against Minnesota, right? Like you would think that their odds should be longer than the Giants, like significantly longer. Maybe I'm off base here as we'll talk about the divisional perspective because I, 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 the division is really the one that I want to get to here because they're plus 700 to win the division. And then you see, if you're watching on YouTube, Dallas at 115, Philly at 210, and Washington at 450. So it's interesting that the Giants are similarly in the same boat as Washington when it comes to the NFC. But inside the division, the Giants are playing the long game here. They are. And and the reason why is because they've seen Dallas make the playoffs and then underperform in the playoffs. They've seen... Jalen Hurts at quarterback go to the playoffs, win a division while playing like, poorly, right? Yeah, you know, like, or wiping up and down. Yeah, right. And so he's only going to get more experience. And then while we don't think necessarily Carson Wentz is the answer for the Washington Commanders, he did have show at his highest points that he can play at a potentially MVP level that one season that he had. So when you think about all of those factors, plus. There is a lot of talent on the Washington roster overall. You look at Terry McLaurin, he's he's potentially better than any wide receiver that the Giants may have. You look at that defensive front that Washington has, which you know starts with Chase Young and Montez Sweat, et cetera. They really are an interesting team that, man, if, if Carson Wentz could be 
85 cents on the dollar of what he was a handful of years ago, then that, that seems to be a little bit smarter money for them. Oh, sure. And I mean, listen, relative to Heineke, right, or Fitzpatrick and the options that they've had there previously, like you have to look at that and say his ceiling at least can be higher than those players. I personally, this is a unrelated topic. If I had been Washington, I would have just stuck with Heineke. I'm not saying he's like the long-term answer for you at quarterback, but I, but I think it's better to go with him than it is to sacrifice even more assets. I mean, has any player over Carson Wentz garnered more exchanging of goods and services around the NFL for, you know, a player that arguably may or may not turn out to ever be what you're hoping he could have been. Side note on all this. I love the giants at seven to one. You mentioned Carson Wentz. There's a great video. If you're a giant fan and you want to feel good about yourself, Uh, he's signing autographs at one of the OTAs uh, for Washington commander fans. And some like 14 year old kid looks up and he's like, Carson, can you sign this as Carson signing? And he says, I hope I'm wrong about you, Carson. That's nice. I hope I'm wrong about you. And Carson's like, I guess, thank you. I don't like, what do I say to that? Anyways, I signed, I signed this picture first. Let me just go ahead and put my sentiment in just above that there. Are you familiar with uh, abbreviations? No, very good then. Yeah. Listen, whatever we think about the division, uh, that's always great. I love when, I love when fans have this kind of detachment between a human being standing in front of them versus a product and a logo that they want to see be successful to your point. Like, listen, I, legitimately, I would throw a couple bucks down on the Giants for the division. I think that we're going to get some other opportunities here around why that could be possible, right? The NFC East has always been tumultuous. It always turns over. Um, certainly, some of the expectations around who could be successful for the Giants can move that needle. But uh, I'd be more likely, before we turn over to some of the individual awards going into this season, I would be more likely to put money on the Super Bowl and on the division than I would the NFC. <laughs> Which I can't make any sense, but I think is perfectly flawless logic. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I understand I understand your how your crazy brain works, Adam. The, the simple thing on here is the Giants at, at seven to one. If this giant team really does get a handle on the offense under Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, it feels like this could change in a hurry. It changes yes. everything. Wink Martindale forcing turnovers. This number is kind of like Vegas saying, we don't really know what we're going to see from the Giants yet. I expect that number to come down before the season starts. Yeah, you'd like to think so. And we're going to get into a little bit here in a second around uh, the back end of this episode where they stand from a win projection standpoint and and why some of these numbers should maybe come down over the course of the season and maybe even over the course of of preseason, depending on how this offense particularly looks when they get on the field, they're playing against real reps against real teams. Um, individual awards. How about offensive player of the year on this one? Could I tickle your fancy on a little plus 600 for one Saquon Barkley? Well, it's actually plus 6,000, Adam. Because oh. it, it's 60 to one. For anyone that loves horse Even racing, better. it's 60 to one on Barkley. He's actually worse than Elijah Miller. He's about the same as Austin Eckler. Um, it's, we didn't talk it's, about this pre-show. It's a very big long shot. It's a very big long shot for someone like Saquon Barkley to be able able to win this award. I mean, the number one reason is health, right? We haven't been able to see Saquon stay healthy to accumulate the stats and impact the game enough to win something like this. Whereas you look at Austin Eckler, who was kind of like the Swiss Army knife, be all end all for for the Los Angeles Chargers, and they're only expected to get better with what they did in the offseason. Michael Thomas led the league in receptions when healthy. So you can see the types of players that are around Saquon at the same odds. This one to me is the toughest one for me to wrap my head around. I just, it, I would love for Saquon to be in the conversation, but there's so many other better options if in terms of betting that I would pick over Saquon in that position. 
Yeah, this is one. It's funny. We're going to get to another award that I'd actually, I'll bring Barkley's name back up in. But this one's tricky to me. Like, I, I feel like when it comes to odds and offensive player of the year, don't bother as you get further down the list because it, it feels far less likely that maybe the top 10 or 15 names that are listed around this it's going to be one of them. It's not good, right? When you think about MVPs in the, in the uh, NBA, you don't go, well, I tell you what, I got a bit of a long shot here for MVP. Well, yeah, because the guy that's second or third on the roster in terms of viability and what, how they're going to impact the team, they usually don't rise up, right? Go with LeBron, go with Curry, go with Kevin Durant, take the name brands and probably travel with those. I'll, I'll touch back to Barkley here in a minute. You can, you can follow up before we get to defensive player. I actually have the opposite approach on on offensive and defensive player of the year. I think people come out of nowhere. You think there's whether, a bubble up? Yeah, but well, think about it. L- last year, Jonathan Taylor ran rough shot over the entire league. He wasn't in the top 10 before the season started. You look at Debo Samuel, people were saying he wasn't even the best wide receiver on his team. They had Brandon Ayuk rank, ranked higher than him. So all of a sudden, you'll see early on the season, these guys have flashes, and you're like, hey, maybe oh, yeah, like- that, that guy's clearly the guy when, in fact, he wasn't even top 10 or top 20 you know, in the rankings right before the season started. Well, yeah, okay, let, let me, I'll, I'll contextualize it this way. I don't think Barkley might not be the option for it, right? Maybe you're trying to then look at offenses. Maybe you go down and look at Miami and say, hey, they brought in a lot of weapons here. Who's someone that could really strike while the iron is hot, right? Or some of these moving wide receivers from Green Bay going to other teams. Or you saw, uh, you know, Hollywood Brown go to Arizona, right? Like maybe there's some movement there where you can try to find one of these spark plugs that's going to jump. Like, for instance, Tyreek Hill is plus 5,000, so he's about the same odds as Elijah Mitchell, so your point is, is well yeah. taken. New system, you haven't seen it yet. He could flash and all of a sudden have 20 touchdowns and come out of nowhere. That's a great pick, Adam. There, I, I knew I'd get there. Just let me keep rattling off names until I finally strike gold. Let's talk about Defensive Player of the Year where the odds are even sweeter. Yeah. I Let's let's talk about it, Adam. I thought you were, go- you were, you were excited to... <laughs> I thought you were excited to talk about it. And you just looked at me and said, let's talk about it. I'm like, okay, shall this we? This might be one of the best episodes I've ever put on tape. I'll I, tell you, you know right what? Now. So, so listen, Send it to def- Canton. defensive player of the year is interesting. One, because there's actually a few giants that made the list this time, which I was surprised about, but you know, the top two that are tied are Azizio Jolari and Leonard Williams. And they're basically 200 to one or plus 20,000. However, however you want to, you know, dice and splice it with Kayvon Thibodeau just behind them at about 250 to one odds. And I I think this is interesting. This is where you could almost throw a dollar or two on all three of them and just say, hey, if the Giants defense under Wink is attacking quarterbacks, that means stats that matter like sacks and turnovers and interceptions all of a sudden start popping up. To me, Adam, these are the three best bets on the board. And if you were to even throw five dollars on each of them. One of them winning it would be a massive payday. Yeah, do you think, like, I guess it's like Leonard Williams. It's, I know it's not like for like, but for Leonard Williams to take this down, you're, you're talking about an Aaron Donald-type impact performance on the interior of the – I know he's not on the you – know, he's not playing nose tackle, but that's what you'd be asking for of him. Are you a little more – are you more or less surprised that, that they don't put, like, Kayvon up a little bit closer to it? I Because I, I, I get the Ojalari piece. I really – I get that in a lot of ways because it's like – well, Thibodeau benefits Leonard Williams, and now Thibodeau and Leonard Williams benefit Aziz Ojolari, and he came off a very strong rookie season. So, like, I get the world where the fringe benefit combined with his talent level, all of a sudden you're midway through the season, you're going, 
guess what? Ojalari is just stacking up on single coverage, sack after sack, and who knows what other type of hurries and maybe interceptions, fumbles, that kind of stuff that he can do as well. Yeah, Leonard Williams shows that he can have an impact on the game. I think what they're saying here is that his stats will look more like they were two years ago as opposed to last year where you kind of get into the double-digit sacks just because with having someone like Ojolari on the outside and Kayvon and all the, the different schemes that Wink is going to run, I think Leonard Williams is going to get to the quarterback a little bit more often, and he's already shown to be able to play at a basically a Pro Bowl level. So for me, I, I kind of like it. I think Ojolari and Kayvon are, are more likely to have those big, big, like, wow numbers in terms mm-hmm. of sacks or fumble, strip, strip sacks or fumble recoveries or whatever it is. But don't discount Leonard Williams. My recommendation, throw a couple bucks on each of them and, uh, and watch this Giants defense flourish. Worst, I, I think the best thing to take away from this in the worst case scenario is that they're all having really strong, pretty good seasons. None of them are worthy of defensive player of the year, but all the stats kind of spread out across them, right? Like that's the Giants dream under Wink Martindale. Yeah, they all played great. And no, nobody's getting the award. And guess what? We're fine with that. I think maybe shy of, shy of Kayvon Thibodeau just kind of showing up and being like, by the way, this is my league now. That's probably like, the one having, version of this. Having a Micah Parsons like come out of the gate Yes. look amazing in the first few weeks and say this guy is here for real yeah i agree yeah, that i would love okay now we get into a little bit juicier that was a sloppy two minute kind of operation we just ran there and it's 100 percent on me i'm not navigating or regulating this episode in any form or fashion but where we get a little bit lengthier let's a little more meat on the bone as andy likes to say in our pre-show meetings um comeback player of the year and then uh another interesting category that i think kind of work in tandem here a little bit talk to me about comeback player of the year I, I am surprised by the name on this list. Yeah, so the name on the list that's highest up for the Giants is our sweet prince, Daniel Jones. Ooh. And Daniel Jones is in the top five of most likely to win the Comeback Player of the Year award. He is fourth on the list at 9-1, to one, Adam. And he's near guys like Derrick Henry, who got injured, Michael Thomas, who got injured. Um, you got Daniel Jones sitting right up at the top. I think Christian McCaffrey was listed fifth. So those are the types of players that Daniel Jones is surrounded by. And when I told you this, you kind of had this peculiar look on your face initially. What's going through your mind when you hear Daniel Jones fourth? Because, okay, because the my, my initial take was, is he coming back from, from last year? Like, what is he coming back from? You know, like you only talk about comeback player of the year. There's this established track record of success. Then there's a downfall due to injury or, you know, circumstances befall them. And then they come back to expectations. They come back to what they used to be for so long in the NFL. Like Daniel Jones only has his rookie season as being, here's the best standard of him, 24-12 ratio touchdowns to interceptions. And that's another year removed. Like I know the injury exists and that's a comeback element, but I just, I was thrown off by it. I didn't know that he qualified for comeback. Yeah. You, you mentioned, well, Derek Henry is the most likely to win it. And you're like, Oh, an all pro who's shown the ability to lead the league in rushing. You're like, Oh, Michael Thomas at number three, a guy who's led the league in receptions before. Oh, Christian McCaffrey at five, a guy that has led the league. in. They're all guys that have won pro bowls. And then you have Daniel Jones smack dab in the middle. I think what they're saying, Adam, in terms of comeback player of the year, is they're finding that Daniel Jones can come back from Jason Garrett's conservative offense and Dave Gettleman's lack of addressing the offensive line to give him protection. That's what he's coming back from. It's not that he he was at an all-time high. It's that he is overcoming all of those challenges and didn't 
get murdered behind that offensive line and, and the way that they call plays. And now he's ready to flourish under the new system. Where is Saquon Barkley on this list? Because I, that's the guy I would put money on would be Saquon Barkley, who has a track record of excellence and then has had a lot of injuries and has struggled to get himself healthy and back on the field and is coming back from trying to get his legs underneath him last season and all the bad offensive play and everything else that you mentioned about Daniel Jones. Only he also has established that he's a 2000 all purpose, you know, back in the NFL. His odds would be ones that I'd, I'd be more likely to throw money on for comeback player. Well, I'll tell you, it's not listed on FanDuel. He's not even ah, in the top 25. Ah, so I don't know. You know what that tells you? You know what that tells you? You know what that tells you? They don't, Vegas doesn't like it. They don't want to give you the odds on a player like that because he's going to steal some cash off of that strip. The, the last thing I will say on this, and this is bad form, and we certainly will not go any further than what I'm about to say, but it just it seem okay. a little weird that like 12th on the comeback player of the year list is Deshaun Watson. Like, doesn't it seem a little odd to you that he's listed as 12th? Well, he's coming back from, from, from and who knows? And, and who knows? He, he may not even be able to be back with some other things that are coming out as the day has passed. So, you know, but I guess, hey, listen, that's the point. Comeback is a very wide net that you can cast. And there's a lot of categories where you go, hey, he's coming back. We don't need to clarify what he's coming back from, but it's happening. What I mean, can, yeah. I mean, that one just caught my eye, but yes, <laughs> I, it, it's it's distracting me. But but I do think that Daniel Jones being listed at fourth, Adam, is, yeah. is actually the catalyst of the next category that we're going to talk about. Because if Daniel Jones ends up winning comeback player of the year, then this next one probably is a no-brainer in terms of who gets it, right? Yeah, you better believe it. So then, uh, yeah, things work in tandem. Um, coach of the year. One Mr. Brian DeBole, what where are his odds listed at here? And and obviously, I guess it has to go hand in hand. Either Daniel Jones is comeback player of the year and maybe offensive player of the year, and that's why Dable is capable of being among the top candidates to win coach of the year. Yeah. So su- surprisingly to me, when we were doing some research on this, Brian Dable is tied for first in most likely to win coach of the year. And Adam. He's tied with two names that are in completely different situations uh, in and of themselves. One is Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers, and the other is Doug Peterson of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And what I, you know, as I say, if Daniel Jones comes out and performs the way that people want him to, it means the Giants' offense is going to look good, and it means that the Giants are going to win games. Sure. And I, it, it's fascinating to me that. You know, Brandon Staley is in a position where they just missed out on the playoffs. They reloaded with Khalil Mack and others on the defense. They look like they're ready to take the next step. And if he takes them there to the playoffs or the division, he's going to win it. Brian yeah. Dayball actually it has such lower expectations of what the Giants are going to be coming off of a four-win season that Brian Dayball and the Giants could win eight games and he could be in serious consideration for winning coach of the year. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned with Staley, just, you know, teams that are good and haven't gotten over that hump yet. All of a sudden, you win a couple extra playoff games. You find yourself in the AFC Championship, right? Like, and what has your record been throughout the year? That can validate what you are as a head coach and how you're able to move the needle. Even if it is that you have the talent, okay, but now you have to get the most out of that talent. Cincinnati Bengals last year kind of, you know, bubbles up that way. All of a sudden, you you look back now and you go, oh, yeah, a lot of talented pieces there on that roster for them to have success. Peterson on the other side, because what did Jacksonville win? Two games? Three games last year? Like, that that bar is so low and and Peterson has such a good track record as a head coach with Philadelphia that I think you look at that and go, 
well, you can flip that script. W- what is the benchmark going to be for Jacksonville? Seven wins? Six wins? Like a, a six-win team could still gardener expectations for a coach of the year honors based on where that team is coming from. It probably has to be a little bit better than that. But then you get to Brian Dable. It's fascinating to me that the Giants have been looked at organizationally as both a terribly run organization, every single mistake you could possibly make, and that it's feasible that this team could pivot and turn itself around on a dime here. And if they did to whatever expectation level, you'd have to say that Brian Dable has been the catalyst for that success. Yeah, I mean, but the tough part about this is like, you know, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay is a great coach. They win 13 or 14 games every year. And like, if they win 14 games, is it more impressive to continue that ship going where you're winning, you know, you're going 14 and three and you're, and you're getting the number one seed? Or is it better to go from four wins to eight wins, be under 500 and miss the playoffs? It's such a, it's such a hard hard category because expectations play so much into this. It's not just how good you coach. It's how much better did you do over what was expected? And if you're expected to be a top three or four team in the, in the league, it's hard to really blow those expectations out of the water. Right. Well, I was going to say Mike Tomlin. Name a year that he's not deserving of being coach of the year, right? right? Or at least in the conversation. And there usually are very, they're usually very good teams. They're very competitive last year, even as, as Roethlisberger is winding down, still finds a way to make the playoffs, et cetera. Like, okay, great. And you almost at some point, this is what happens. You take it for granted, right? You take the success of a LaFleur for granted. You take the success of an Andy Reid for granted. I mean, they're always in these conversations and you know how they're going to go down from a legacy standpoint. Certainly the, the two latter names there more so than LaFleur who's building that resume right now as we speak. But I, and actually, I just saw on LaFleur, I know another little side tangent here. Um, uh, Peter Bukowski, who covers the Packers, he's on the Locked On Network. He listed out all of these reasons why you can very reasonably detach him from the fact that Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, how can you possibly, you know, obviously it's a product of, of Aaron Rodgers, the greatest quarterback. He goes, no, you can also look and see that they keep winning 13 games now with consistency. They never did that before he got there, right? Like there are expectation bars that you can see the needle move on harder to do it with good quality teams coming into the year as opposed to lower ones. Um, and to that point, when it comes to the giants, what, where does the bar get set here? We'll talk about, you had thrown out the one, and I, there's the over-under on win totals, but you also mentioned 10-plus games for the New York football Giants. 10-plus uh, wins is a relatively low number. Yeah, yeah. so this one I just thought was noteworthy for for one reason. Well, may, maybe two reasons. One is plus 270 means you know just over 2.5 to 1 that the Giants would win 10 games. That seems incredibly low, Adam. And and, and also wait, very deserving of coach of the year for Brian Dable. Well, so so that's exactly <laughs> where I was going to go on this, is that if the Giants win 10 or more games, there is a very strong chance, if not almost like an 80 to 90% chance, that Brian Dable wins coach of the year at 14 to 1. So if you're going to yeah. pick one of the two wagers, Brian Dable as coach of the year is a way better bet for, for Giants fans. You're getting almost 6 to 1 more on your money saying, Dayball will win it. Like to me, that this is the one bet I would completely avoid on the on the board. I don't yeah. like the Saquon Barkley one. I don't like this one. You get way more value because if they win ten games, Dayball's going to get it anyway. What I was going to say, like this is where, like I think, if if you believe in this number from Vegas, then you should love the other numbers out there, including maybe comeback player of the year for Daniel Jones, right? Like you should be willing to throw a couple bucks on it because if you're going to win 10, 10 plus games, then it's likely they will be coach of the year. It's likely that Daniel Jones is comeback player of the year. There's some chance that uh, offensive player of the year 
maybe would be on the table for Daniel Jones, right? So it's like all of these things, you start to like reverse engineer it and look at where you want to spend some money. I personally, as we kind of get into the, uh, we want to do the end of the over under on win totals here and this kind of put a cap on it. Just from a betting perspective, everyone already established. We've got a lot of new followers and subscribers on YouTube. I like to be a part of it. I don't always wrap my head around it as quickly as I should. I, I like to dance with the distance. I think that the long shots are the ones that make it the most intriguing and exciting and fun to watch, whether it's the Giants or anybody else. So I'm always into the parlays. I'm always into the, you know, plus 9,000. Yeah, give me that. And then I and then I just get angry at the end of the year, especially when they come close. Anytime they almost meet the odds, that's when I really start to lose it. Adam, you're like the guy when everyone's going on like a ski trip. You're like, yeah, I'm in. They're like, have you ever skied before? You're like, nope, but I'll give it a try. And you have the pizza legs all the way down, all the way down the bunny bunny slope. So like, hey, listen, you're out there giving it your best. I know the OGP listeners are going to appreciate it. So kudos to you, my friend. <laughs> and by the way, as we get into uh, the over under and what this means for the team on wind totals, I also end up being the guy that when the skiing doesn't work out, drop me into a tube. Send me down the slope. <laughs> I'm living the dream. I'll see you for hot cocoa the, back at the, the lodge. The tube, the tube does feel like the long shot bet too. That's what it feels like in my mind. So you are, you are very on brand on this, but all right, let's, at the end let's, of the day. Talk yes. to me about over unders for win total. Yeah. So w- what I thought was going to be important to get out of here on is what are the actual expectations? We gave you some very optimistic ideas of, of ways you can get creative with, with putting money on the Giants responsibly. Oh, sure. But what Vegas is saying right now is the Giants win total is sitting anywhere between seven and seven and a half wins across all a host of different betting websites. They have different like VIGs and how much you have to pay for it. Don't need to get into too much detail on that. But seven, seven and a half wins is the expectation for this team right now. Do you, you know, at the end of the day, Adam, the, the simple question is not, will they beat it? Are they going to be completely under it? Is does that feel right based on what the Giants did this offseason and where you think the expectation should be sitting for Giants today? I, th- I, yes, I think so. Right. If you look at this team and you say it's generally agreed that the Giants had a successful draft. It's generally agreed that they improved through free agency as well. The play of the offensive line, right? So you've added more weapons. You've added more protection. You've added a better head coach. You've added a better offensive coordinator. You've added a better better defensive coordinator. In a lot of ways, I think the win total right now is as much about, yes, there's young talent. And we talked about this last episode, right? Thinking of what this team could be. This is as much about the coaching staff, I think, and how they can elevate them, especially when you contrast it. I'll put it this way. You tell me you can have Joe Judge or Brian Dable. How many more wins might Dable be worth over Joe Judge? If you told me you have Kafka instead of Jason Garrett, how many more wins could he be worth as opposed to what you saw last season, right? So I think moving the needle from a talent perspective, and, and you know, I, I leave off Patrick Graham because I, I think he is a quality defensive coordinator. I love what Wink Martindale can do. But from that standpoint, I think you have to look at this and say, are they capable of winning three to four more games than they did last year? Yeah, 100%, especially if we think that Daniel Jones, no matter what he's going to be long-term, can be healthy and on the field for this team. So those are odds that I put money on as well. And I think that we will see over the course of this offseason, I won't be shocked if that number moves a little bit or if at least the, the, uh, the odds start to come down a little bit on that ratio. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the coaching. I just go to, at the end of the day, 80% of this offensive line is completely overhauled. Yep. You have Saquon Barkley is healthy. They're utilizing him in the right way in camp so far. You have Daniel Jones, who is healthy. You have Kayvon Thibodeau being an upgrade on the outside, getting edge rush. And you have a much more creative, blitz-heavy scheme. 
all of these things that we're talking about are going to change how this team looks. And I think it's going to be for the better. Now, the real question is, are they going to be able to double their win total or not? That is to be seen. And I think once we start so doubling, into- doubling your win total and still, and still only aiming for eight, what a, yeah. what a, what a bar. <laughs> I'm uh, that's, that's what, what it is for the giants though. And, and, and honestly, you know, we talk about Dallas, we talk about Philly. We even talk about Washington. They're all this can, this division is going to be more competitive for the giants than people are giving them the credit for today. I think we'll see that number change a little bit, but yes, I think seven, seven and a half wins is definitely a realistic expectation. It should be where the giants are right now. In one of the longest end of the days ever, the division, I think, is also a big component of this. You can look outside of it on the schedule and say, hey, a lot of opportunities for some wins. But this is always true of every single season. So this isn't about projecting win totals. You go 500 in your division, it sets you up for success. If you steal an extra game and you go four and two, obviously, if you go two and four, if you go one and five, that automatically just takes those opportunities off the table when you talk about playing against other competitive teams and just the nature of the NFL, right? You have 17 games. It's not setting a huge expectation bar. This would have been to say six and a half pre-adding that extra game in, right? Could they maybe go seven and nine? Now you're talking about can you go eight, you know, eight and nine? Can you dance in those waters? It's very interesting, man. The season offseason is going to play this out. Preseason is actually going to be, to me, one of the most intriguing preseason runs here, whatever type of reps you see in game are going to be critical to getting an idea of what this team can do when it comes to the regular season. You get over to YouTube friends, you enjoy it. You savor the flavor on what probably either feels like one of those midweek episodes, or maybe it's one of those things. Hey, it's Friday. Let's have some fun. I don't know. I blacked out. I think it went well, but you guys can let us know in the comments. You subscribe over on YouTube. Uh, you get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. As we like to say now, sultry sounds of our voices in your ears as you're driving into work. And no matter what, no matter what the Vegas odds say, it is, I don't know. What's the best possible odds, Andy? Like, what would be like, what would be the, what's the lock of the century? Give me, give me those odds. Minus 500. Minus 500 that Andy Makowitz wants, needs, and demands the people know. As always, let's go big blue.